0: Uh, Tonight's shir is sponsored, actually, from the shul on behalf of the very special occasion, the mazel tov to Isaac and Esti and their engagement. So we have uh, all of us have a really deep sense of the karasatov to Isaac, everything that he's been doing here with the parsha shir. He took the torch with Mahal, but still working together. And really uh, keeping it alive and keeping it thriving and we thank you and we look forward to sharing in many many simchas in the future. Um, Amir <coughs> One of our favorite places to hang out is something called the peanut gallery. Mazeh, peanut gallery. So uh, back in the day in the theaters, the nosebleed seats, right the cheap seats way up top that was known as the peanut gallery because peanuts were the cheapest snack and if you're buying those seats likely you're also buying peanuts and oftentimes they would be the one to heckle they'd be the ones to, uh, to complain and throw the shells of the peanuts at the performers so being in the peanut gallery is just a, it's a comfortable place to hang out because that basically means we can stay on the sidelines. We don't have to actually be playing in the game, and uh, we're protected, we're not as vulnerable. However, in order to live life to its fullest, in order to maximize our potential as Ovde Hashem, we have to get out of the peanut gallery. We gotta get out of that mindset and take full ownership of our choices, full ownership of our relationships, and full ownership of our Limud Torah, of our learning Torah, and our growth in mitzvot. This uh, goes back to 1955. There is a fellow, Shimshon Stock, who was born and raised in uh, New York, and he had a good friend, and his, friend, his friend's son was about to be bar mitzvah. So, Reb Shimshon having a relationship actually with the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father, Rebbe Yitzchak Yosef Schneerson, and he also had a relationship with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He told his friend, listen, I'll take you and your son to, to meet the Rebbe. What a wonderful opportunity, You get a bracha before the Bar Mitzvah. So, they went together, three of them, and the Rebbe is schmoozing with this boy a little bit, and gives him a brief blessing. And then he asked him the question, which kind of threw the kid off guard. Are you a baseball fan? And the kid responded back, yes. Dodgers or Yankees? This is back in the day when the Dodgers were not yet in LA. (laughs) So uh, he replied, I'm a Dodgers fan. The Rebbe said, does your father also go for the Dodgers? Well, he's not so into baseball. Does he ever take you to games? Once in a while, we actually went to a game last month. The Rebbe said, interesting, what happened? So the 13-year-old boy said it was kind of disappointing because by the sixth inning, the Dodgers were losing nine to two. So we decided to leave. So the Rebbe said, that's interesting. So you left, did the players also leave? And the boy thinking, the Rebbe just had no clue what baseball was. He explained, no, no, the way it works is you have fans and you have players. The fans are sitting there in the stadium, and they could leave whenever they want to. The players, though, they have to stay and, and, and wait till the game is over. They have to try to win, even if they're down. So the Rebbe looked at this boy, about to become a bar mitzvah, and he said, this is the lesson I want to teach you when it comes to Yiddishkeit when it comes to your Judaism. You can either be a fan or you can be a player. The way to be matzliach, the way to be successful, is to choose to be a player. We never leave until the game is over. And it's a whole different association, it's a whole different sense of responsibility and ownership of life and Judaism. We're not fans, we're not sitting on the sideline, We're not uh, sitting up top in the peanut gallery just poking fun and being negative and and cynical. We're there on the field and we're trying our best to the bitter end. So I wanna share with you an insight into this difference between being a fan versus being a player. And uh, it's relevant to relationships, to all relationships, but it's also relevant to every aspect of life. We're told that Yisrael Ahav as Yosef Mikol bonav, that Yisrael loved Yosef more than all of his other sons, ki ben hulo, Va pasim, and he made for him a special coat, the kasonus pasim. ve'yiru ahav ki'oso ahav so the brothers saw that their father loved Yosef more than he loved them, so they hated him, Right? They had this feeling of sin, of resentment towards him. And they could not speak with him peacefully. They weren't able to speak with their brother. So many of us are familiar with Rashi. Uh, because the truth is, there are two ways to understand that phrase. They were not able to speak in peace. Either it means, they, they chose not to. They could have if they wanted to, but lo yochlu, they felt it wasn't appropriate. And therefore, they weren't able to because it was going against their values. That's how Rashi seems to learn this Pasik. The other way of learning it would be, lo yochlu, they just couldn't do it. They had so much sinna, they had so much negativity towards Yosef, they couldn't speak with him in a peaceful way. <coughs> so Rashi quotes in the Medesh Rabbah that from here we actually see Although they despised their brother, but mitoch genusen shel shvatem Shivchan we see something that was actually praiseworthy. They didn't want to give off the impression that everything was hunky dori, that everything was just smooth sailing, we're okay, and then behind your back harbor all of these negative feelings. They didn't want to be deceitful. And therefore, Rashi understands that phrase, lo yuchlo, they weren't able to, meaning they chose not to because they felt that would be inappropriate. You got to be emistic, you got to be eiluchdic, you have to be true and, and, and straightforward. The Svorno, though, says something different. The Svorno says that, <laughs> even though they had to have conversations, because they were in charge of the household and they were shepherds of the flocks of their father so they were clearly schmoozing with each other however (laughs) the one thing they couldn't bring themselves to do was to speak with friendship and with that regular brotherly love that they couldn't do when it's business related when it's just what needs to happen that we could talk about. But if it's any friendly kind of conversation, I can't, I can't go there with you because I feel so hurt. That's how the Sforno understands the mindset of the brothers of Yosef. Jonas and Ibschitz, one of the, uh, the greatest Torah giants of the 1700s, he elaborates on this idea of the Sforno. And he says, that what's going on here is we know we have an obligation, we have a mitzvah, lo sisne, sechicha, bilvavecha, Parshas kadosh, we learn we're not allowed to hate our brother. Right? You can't hate your fellow Jew. Rather, the Torah says, what should you do? you should give him or her criticism. Share with them your feelings, but don't hate them. Explains Rebbe and Eipschitz. When I have hard feelings towards you and I don't verbalize it, I don't bring them out in the open, what inevitably will happen is they will grow and they will fester and they will start exploding within me. But when I'm able to speak to you and have a real conversation and I can say, listen... You said this and it was very hurtful. Or you keep on neglecting to do that and it's just, it's causing me a lot of, uh, a lot of pain. Right? Can you please bring in the garbage? It could be trivial things. So when you speak your mind and you share your feelings, explains of Jonas and Eipschitz, then, then that, that pain, that hurt, that resentment will dissipate from your heart. Because you were able to get it out and share it with the other person. The Eluhayyahashvatim, if the brothers of Yosef would have been able to push themselves to speak b'shalom, to have a conversation like brothers would usually have, what would the result have been? Hayanasa Shalom Benehem. That would have caused their own feelings of sinna to to settle down, and that would create shalom. However, because they weren't able to speak in peace, they weren't able to have that normal, healthy relationship, that was the cause of really not just the separation of Yosef from his brothers and selling him to Mitzrayim, but that was really the planting of the seeds of sinas chinam, of hatred and resentment within the Jewish people for all generations to come. All of the suffering, we're going to see this momentarily, but all of the suffering that we've experienced all throughout our trials and tribulations of Gullus, comes from this one shorish, this one root of the fact that we just can't get along. We don't like each other. You bother me. He annoys me. She gets under my skin. It's that sinas Chinam, that's been the source of all devastation that could have been avoided if the brothers were able to speak with Yosef like a mensch. That could have changed Jewish history forever. Sometimes if we're, we're on that madrega, we're on that level where we don't let things really penetrate us, then we don't even have to speak it out because it's not in my mind, I'm not holding it in. It means nothing to me. It slides right off. I told this story to some of you recently, I think, about Rebelski, where he was in the middle of this whole crisis, and he needed this particular rabbi to help him out with something. So he calls the rabbi, asking him, I really need your assistance, I know you're busy, but do me a favor. And the response was, oh, I apologize, but you have no clue how busy I am, I'm not going to be able to get around to it, but Hatzlach, I wish you well. Literally two weeks later, The same rabbi who had no interest whatsoever in helping Rabbi Yisrael Belsky calls Rebelsky up and asks for a favor. And it wasn't a small favor. It sounds like it required a lot of tircha and hassle and time and energy. And Rebelsky, without flinching, said back, Okay, no problem. I have to change around my schedule a little bit, but I'll be there for you. One of his sons overhearing the conversation was blown away. And he basically went to his father and said, Albo, how in the world is this possible? Literally, just a couple of weeks ago, you were asking him for a favor that could have made your life so much easier, and he totally ignored you. He didn't give you the time of day. But before his son was able to even finish speaking, Rybelski cut him off and he said, with this look of surprise, are you saying that because he didn't help me, I'm not going to try my hardest to to give him a hand." He couldn't even understand where his son was coming from. So once we get to that level of existence, then things just slide right off and all is good. But until we get there, and I think many of us are not quite there yet, when we feel something, we have to share it. And this is actually a mitzvah of Min HaTorah. The Rambam tells us, like Jonas and Eivshitz was quoting, was paraphrasing, That the mitzvah of not hating your fellow Jew is, in your heart, Lo sisna esachicha which means to say, explains the Rambam, that if I actually say something nasty to you, or even if I hit you, that's not a violation of sinna. I'm not transgressing the sin of hating, because the hatred is only when I keep it inside. I'm doing other bad things by insulting you or by hitting you, but that's not the issue of sinna. Sinna is when I keep it inside. The way to rectify this particular problem, writes the Rambam, is, share your feelings with that person and say, Why did you do that? Why did you say that? and that will take it out from your heart, take it out from within you, bring it to the forefront and hopefully bring shalom. Oftentimes when there is a conflict, if it's with a spouse, if it's with a child, if it's with somebody at work, it's so much easier to stay in the peanut gallery. And instead of going up to the person who might be the source of the issue, at least in my perception, I'm just going to schmooze over here by the water cooler and we're going to have our chavurah, our little gathering, and we're going to talk about how incredibly incompetent that person is or how crazy or how insensitive she is. That's all we'll do. What happens, putting aside the religious aspect of it, that I'm in violation of this isr of keeping the sin within me, what happens to me spiritually? When I live my life, it's not just the moment in time, but I live my life keeping within me negative feelings about other people. The Chafetz Chaim shares something chilling. He says, we know that based on Kabbalistic sources, every mitzvah corresponds to one of the evarim, one of the limbs of the body. So every time we do a mitzvah, that's being makadesh, that's sanctifying, that's uplifting part of who I am. That's why we say in the bracha, Asher You have sanctified us through your mitzvos, meaning that as I do this particular mitzvah, I know I'm infusing that kedusha within me. But the same thing is true when we do an avera, when we do something we're not supposed to do. It has an impact on, on part of who I am spiritually, the essence of, of my being. I'm now deficient. So it's one thing, if you keep the analogy going, to say, well, my toe is not working that well, or my knee is bothering me a little bit, but I can still get around. But says the Chafetz Chaim, if it's something that's so critical, if it's something that's so foundational to the human being, like your heart, so then your toe could be okay. Your knee could be working just fine. But if your heart, has a defect, that's a very dangerous place to be. He says, when it comes to this particular isser, this prohibition of feeling resentment, of feeling sin towards our fellow Jew, that's felt, that's a defect right here. I'm kameis, I'm not alive. It transforms me spiritually. It's not just the violation of a sin. He goes on to say, that, klolo shel davar. And this is a broad, sweeping statement. Kol ha olam All the suffering in the world, throughout all of our existence. T'chilosan v'ikoran hein al It all comes back to the same starting point. When there's discord, when there's conflict, when there's feelings of, of, of anger between me and you, that is the source of all sorrow, of all suffering. He quotes the Gemara and Sanhedrin that says, when we go three days without speaking to each other, so that's an example of someone who's officially in violation of the Isser of Sino. I don't just hate you in my heart, but I hate you to the extent, and hate doesn't mean that I'm seething. It could just mean that I'm annoyed to the extent where I'm not willing to have a normal, healthy conversation with you. That is sinna. And he goes on to explain that means the definition of sinna is not hatred, is not I want to I wanna destroy him. Sinna means if I'm annoyed with you to the point where I'm not speaking with you in the way that I usually do, that's a Torah violation of hating your fellow Jew. Now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many times in any given relationship have we had a few hours, sometimes a few days, where the conversation is very limited? Because there's so much going on, and neither one of us has the gavura, has the courage to take that first step to try to actually solve the issue and express ourselves in a real, authentic way. So we'll continue for hours or for days, and in some cases, for years. We're not really speaking, we're not communicating. We might talk about, you know, the schedule, if it's between a spouse and a spouse, picking up the kids from carpool. And you have situations that are not uncommon, where you have brothers, and you have children and parents who go decades and decades without having a conversation. To the point where oftentimes we can't even remember what was the reason why this whole thing started. How did it get so bad? That's sin, though. He says, where does all sinna come from? And just parenthetically, these words of the Chafetz Chaim, they come from a small sefer called Kuntris Avas Yisro. It's in the Kol Kisvei Chafetz Chaim. He has a small pamphlet where he speaks about this topic, the importance of loving each other, and how incredibly detrimental it is when we have sinna. Where does all feelings of resentment come from? Says the Chafetz Chaim. It comes from one source, kina, jealousy. I'm jealous of you for one of a couple of different reasons, either because I feel you have more than I do, and therefore almost subconsciously I feel that you're taking something that belongs to me, or we're in the same field, and therefore whenever we're in the same area of expertise, and I think you're getting more covered, more recognition than I am, and people know more about you than they know about me, that makes me very upset. What did you do wrong? Nothing, but there's a feeling of jealousy and jealousy breeds sin He says, another example could be that you feel someone is just a better person than you are. Right, they never seem to get upset. They're always so friendly. I hate you because you're always so friendly. It sounds ridiculous, but this is the complexity of the human mind, right? We have a hard time dealing with people that are overly friendly because I get defensive when I feel I'm not like that, then I feel inferior to you, and that breeds a sense of Sidna, of resentment and anger. He says, the only tikkun, the only rectification we have... We have to make it priority one. And when he says priority one, it sounds like this is really above and beyond everything else we're doing. Everything is important. Learning Torah is the greatest mitzvah. And there's so many mitzvahs that we do. But priority one is, I have to be proactive. I have to love you physically i have to love you with my my sharing of emotions and i have to love you with my money what does that mean to love somebody with your money so classic example would be if they need a loan you're going to help them out you lend them some money but there are so many examples where if you're just willing to spend some money on a relationship you could avoid conflict and i speak to people all the time about issues of Babysitting or carpool and there's always questions, you know, they were supposed to do it twice a week But it turned out that their kid was sick or the babysitter didn't come and now I'm not sure do we have to pay for three days or for four days If it's not clear Just spend some money right? Spend some money $40 more do I have $40 to give well, I don't have $40 to waste But if this 40 bucks can make a difference going further, and they're not gonna feel any negativity towards me, and we can just keep this smooth, just spend the money. Don't be so stingy. Chavetz Chaim says that's priority one. When it comes to getting ourselves out of the peanut gallery and making sure that we don't hold on to these feelings of, of negativity towards people, towards institutions, towards schools, towards shuls, towards yeshivas, towards our place of work. We have to ask ourselves a few questions. Question number one is, why is this bothering me so much? Why do I feel the need to to constantly be, you know, schmoozing with my my chevra about this particular person or that particular issue? Why is it getting under my skin? Sometimes the answer is, if we're honest with ourselves, well, it's like the Chafetz Chaim said, I think I'm a little bit jealous of him, and I think he's getting more than he deserves and he's taking away from me, and, and I would rather, I'd rather be him in a sense, and it's my kin, it's my jealousy that's causing my feelings of sin. If that's why I feel this way, then that's a pretty good re- revelation, you know what, I'm going to work on this, this is not where I want to be. In life, and this is, uh, I think, ancient wisdom. In life, we always have three choices to solve any problem. And this is your esot Very fundamental idea. Choice number one is, we change it. Whatever it is, it's not working, and therefore we fix it or we change it. We tweak something. Choice number two is, we leave it. I see it's not working, I see that I'm not able to rectify the situation, and therefore I have to say, I'm sorry, but I can't come to work on Monday, this is not working out. Choice number three is, we accept it. I can't change the situation because I'm not going to change that personality. I'm not going to leave it because there's too much here that I can't leave. And therefore, my only choice is I have to accept it. But there's no fourth option. The fourth option which many of us torture ourselves for years is, I'm going to stay in this dreadful situation. I'm not really able to change it. I'm not strong enough to leave it, or I have reasons why I feel I should not leave it. And I don't allow myself to accept it, and therefore my life is one long, consistent expression of negativity. And I stay in the peanut gallery until I'm old and gray, and then I die. So there's no fourth option. We change something, we leave it, or we accept it. This is probably one of the the most famous speeches from Theodore Roosevelt, he gave actually after he was president he took a year off to go hunting in africa as most presidents do nowadays i'm sure trump wouldn't mind that right now right (laughs) take a year off and go kill some animals right come back so in this speech that he gave in france and paris april 23rd 1910 the speech was officially called citizenship in a republic but it's known now as the man in the arena. He has a preface where he says, the poorest way to live life is to face it with a sneer. Basically, to live as a cynic, to live in a constant state of sarcasm, that's the poorest way to live life. Roosevelt said, it's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Their credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat being the man in the arena to apply this to every area of life in Judaism means I'm taking myself out of the sidelines I'm no longer a fan I'm no longer here to sit here and poke fun but I'm here to actually do something and be productive And if there's something I could change, I will change it. And if it's something I need to leave, then I'm going to back away. And if it's something that I need to accept, I will do so with valor. But I'm not going to sit back and complain. This is one of the main themes of Hanukkah. Hanukkah coming up in a few days. Probably one of the most famous stories that the kids learn about in school, we find in the book of the Maccabees where it tells us about the, uh, the Greek soldiers coming to the town of Modin, and they gather the Jews together, Matas Yahu being the elder of the village, and they say, we need you to offer, offer the pig to Zeus. Right? Here's a hog, offer it to Zeus. All the Jews are standing there paralyzed in fear, not knowing what to do. A renegade Jew comes in, Hellenistic Jew, and he says, I'll do it. And he takes the pig, he's about to offer it to Zeus. Matis Yahu in his righteous zeal, steps up, as we know the story. He kills the person before doing so, and then together with his sons and others, they kill the other Greek soldiers who were there. And that was really the beginning of the Hanukkah story. The famous line, though, that we read in the book of the Maccabees where Matis Yohu basically called his sons and his people into play. He says, He ran into the city. Vayikura biko goldel vayomer. And he cried out with a loud voice and he said, Mia isha chorid litorah who is the man who is who's is afraid, who has a reverence of the Torah of his God, who machik v'briso, one who wants to hold on tight to the covenant of God, Yovo Acharai, follow me. Anyone who wants to step into the arena, Matas Yo was saying, follow me. Do you know how many people were there bemoaning the assimilation? Right, having conversations at the Shabbos table. What a terrible thing all of this greek culture is, is seeping in i just read the other day online that now more jews are participating in the gymnasium oi oi and the intermarriage right now it's up to 70 something percent oi can you please pass the cholent right? that's what most people were doing it's a good conversation topic. We could feel bad about it. Maybe we'll dab in once in a while if it crosses my mind. Matis Yahu said, that's not enough. Rather, If you really care about God, and you're really machshiv, you're really concerned about the Torah, yavo then follow me, and let's do something about it. Reminds me also of a famous interview with the Lubavitcher Rebbe when he first took over in 1951. Is that correct, 51? So, all right, give or take a year, you could be off by one in Gematria. So the person interviewing him asked the question, something along the lines of, uh, you know, in America, and the assimilation, and, and the influence from the outside culture, and we're losing Jews, and the Rebbe interrupted him. And he said, I'll tell you the truth, I've had this conversation so many times before, Yes, we're all very aware of what's going on, and we know the danger, and we know that we're losing Jews, but can we just stop talking about all the negativity? Let's focus on what are we going to do about it, and let's just work forward. What are we going to do about it? I want to I wanna share with you a, a new personality. Over the years, I've been reading his Sefer, and I've gained tremendously from it. Rav Yusacher Shlomo Tachtal, one of the, uh, the Gidolim in Europe, before the war and during the war, the, uh, I'll give you a brief biographical sketch, and I want to share with you some thoughts on the topic of getting into the arena. Yusacher Shlomo Tachtal was born in Hungary in 1885, uh, his father and mother we're going to read about in a moment. He has a brief paragraph on each one in his introduction to one of his svarim. In uh, 1906, when he was 21, he received smicha from three different gedolay olam in Europe, um, one of them being the Mordechai. He was a prolific author. He had a correspondence with many of the other gedolay throughout Europe and beyond. His first major work he started writing when he was 24, The Mishnah Sakhir, which was a tshuva sefer, answering questions of all all, uh, different areas of halacha. That first publication came out 15 years later, but then subsequently he published a second volume in 1926 and a fourth volume in 1940. The, uh, The sad thing was, as it was being published, The Nazis destroyed all the copies that were still in the printing house. The only copy that Reb Tachtel had was his own personal copy that Baruch Hashem he was able to hold on to. He gave all of his svarim, his manuscripts of the Mishnah Sachir, his work, the Eim HaBonim Smecha, which we're going to reference in a moment, and his personal journal, which Amrits Hashem will share more of as time goes on. Amazing insights that he records in that journal during those uh, those years of wrath. He gave all of his manuscripts to a non-Jewish neighbor and basically said, please hide these for me. And he instructed his family, if anyone survives after the war, the one thing I ask from you is to please get back my manuscripts and publish them for me. After the war, his daughter Hindel Baruch Hashem with a lot of Siyat HaDishmaiyah and miracles along the way, she was able to find those manuscripts and publish them on behalf of her father. The diary that he wrote was actually not found until 50 years later. And uh, that was subsequently published as well. Again, Amrit Shem one day I'll share some of the insights from that diary. He and his family are running throughout Europe trying to avoid the Nazis. They're hiding in an attic for some time, seeing the deportation of many. Eventually, they go to Hungary and uh, they're, they're caught by SS officers and taken to Auschwitz. This is right as the Russians are coming in and literally a few months before the end of the war on a train going deeper into Germany. Uh, it sounds like there was everyone was starving and the Germans, not wanting to, uh, to let go of any opportunity to torture Jews, as they were starving, they just took a little crust of bread and threw it into the train that was packed with these, these skeletons of human beings, wanting to see them fight over it, let them fight over the crust of bread. So one very weak Jew somehow got his hand on that bread. There was a Ukrainian that grabbed it away from him, Rav Tachtal, not standing for any level of injustice, basically started arguing with this Ukrainian. And his family was telling just, just leave it alone, leave it alone. But he couldn't, he couldn't stand that someone would be so, so incredibly evil to someone who was dying. And a few of the Hungarians, or Ukrainians and Nazis killed him there on the train. And he died all Pikidish Hashem. He had his safer that he began writing in the 1940s, where when he was hiding in the attic, he actually writes in his journal that if I make it out of here alive, I'm a Kabul upon myself, I'm taking the, uh, an oath that I want to write a safer, encouraging Jews to move to Eretz Yisrael, which the context of this is also very interesting because he started off, as many other Gedolim were, very anti-Zionistic as the Zionist movement at the time was extremely secular and anti-religious. But during his experiences of the war, he had a a change of heart. And in his Sefer, Eim Habanim Smecha that he wrote with no other Svarim. He wasn't able to look up anything. And as you read the Sefer, you're overwhelmed by his Bekiyus, by his breath and by his depth. He's quoting everything. But he speaks about what he feels to clearly be the issue leading up to the Holocaust. And this is the main tikkun that we need as Kla'an Yisrael, which is Achtus V'Shalom. And he has prokem chapters and chapters going through the importance of being able to look past the different types of Judaism and flavors and factions and, and separations. He felt that that was the only way to have the Ge'ula Shalei. So he writes it towards the end of his Sefer. He says, if you look in the, uh, in the Torah's Kohanim, a midrashic source on, uh, on Vayikra, it speaks about the mitzvah of leaving over the payah, leaving over the food for the, uh, the poor people to gather from the field. And the word it uses is tazov, to leave it, which literally means to just leave it where it is and the owner of the field has no obligation to distribute it. However, we learn explains the Chazal, that if there are 100 people standing there and 99 of them say, you know what, it would be a lot easier and a lot safer if you would just give it out in a fair way, and one person says, no, I don't want to do it like that, let's just do every man for himself. Kol de gavar. whoever gets more will get more. Who do you listen to, 99 people or that one person? So usually you say you go with the majority, right? In this case, says the Taras Kohanim, you go with the one person. Because the technical halacha is you leave it there. The only time we feel philosophically you could change the halacha is that if everyone's on the same page, but if one person wants to keep it the way it is, that's how we pass it. Right? An application of this would be we're all in a room together. And it's freezing in Boca because it's already cl- getting close to, uh, to the real harsh winter. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, And there's a whole debate back and forth, should we open the window or should we close the window? So if it's winter outside, even though the majority of people want the window open, if one person says, I want it closed, because officially when it's winter time the window should be closed, you listen to him. So says Rav Tachtal, the application of this is incredible. He says, therefore, as I speak to you, my generation, Atemro you've seen that everything that I've written, besifri, everything that I have in my book, is kahalacha. it's proper, it's according to the guidelines of the Torah, it's das Torah, vratzon habore. And I feel with confidence what I'm sharing with you is the will of God. Therefore, you have to listen to me. You have to recognize that it all comes down to this issue. The issue that started with Yosef and his brothers, of the jealousy leading to the hatred, leading to the period, leading to that separation. It all comes down to somehow rectifying that. V'ze'emes v'halacha brua, This is truth straight from Hashem. Then he says, And I know. Because until now, we've been trying to encourage ourselves to get out of the peanut gallery. But the one thing we have to address is, let's say I'm actually in the arena. And there are other people in the peanut gallery who are poking fun at me, who are throwing their shells at me, who are protesting. How do I deal with that? How do I deal with criticism? I'm not going to win everybody over. So that's where Rav Shlomo Tachtal comes into play. He says, po." I know many of you will not agree to everything I'm saying. If it's my focus on rebuilding Eretz Yisrael, if it's my focus on breaking through all mechitzos and gathering together as one Amp Yisrael, the Yorim a lie. And you might yell at me. You might criticize me. a lie, but before you do so, before you open your mouth and tell me I'm doing something wrong, I just want to remind you of the Yerushalmi. I want to remind you of the Talmud Yerushalmi where it says Lakish got up and he said the following halacha. He said, Nasi Shechatim Malkinoso. If you have a Nasi, even though he's the leader of Klaus Yisrael, if he makes a mistake, you give him lashes. He deserves punishment like anybody else. He's not above the law if it's a high crime and misdemeanor. That was an allusion to the impeachment. But, Rabbi Huda Nasi, right? He heard about this and he was the Nasi. He got a little bit insulted. You know, by saying a halacha like that, you're, you're basically telling people, just go ahead and, and smack me if I do something wrong. It's not that simple, but it could be insulting. So Reish Lakesh said back to Yehudah HaNasi, and I guess based on his background starting off as a bandit, he had a streak of, of gvura, of chutzpah in him. He said, my sovris, what are you thinking? Do you think because I'm scared of, of what people are going to say, I'm going to hold myself back from teaching the Das Torah, from sharing what I feel to be the will of God? Says Rav Tachtal, That's what I say as I stand in the arena. And I'm willing to go out on a limb and, and give my Das Torah to share with Klaal Yisrael what I feel we need more than anything else. Like the Chafetz Chaim told us, this is priority one over every mitzvah. Kemokain, Omer and I tell you, the Chibi Shvil hak Eilu. Just because other people might be insulted or they might not appreciate my perspective, and they might feel almost insulted by some of the ideas that I'm sharing, but they're not my own ideas. I'm just sharing with you what we learned from the Torah itself, from Chazal. Am I going to hold myself back from sharing the truth because it might be a little bit offending? You might not like it. And that's the way we respond when we're standing in the arena. The brothers of Yosef, according to Jonas and Ibschitz could have changed their destiny, could have changed the entire future of Klal Yisrael. if they were just able to overcome those feelings and verbalize it and be authentic and be vulnerable with Yosef and share the way they were feeling, that would have been mavatil, that would have totally just dispersed the sinna. But they couldn't do that. And that changed everything. That seems to be according to the Chafetz Chaim, according to Rabbi Sacher, Shlomo Tachtal, according to all of our giants in Torah, this is priority one. When we allow ourselves to stay on the sidelines or in the peanut gallery, and we don't approach people, we don't approach relationships where we're actually trying to solve problems, where we're not taking one of those three options very carefully of either changing it in a real way, leaving it if it's not working, or accepting it, if I'm not taking one of those three options, and I continue doing nothing but complaining about my reality, that is totally unacceptable. The call of Matis Yahu was, if you're harder the Torah, Hashem, Melokav, we care about the Torah, we care about the baruchu Yavo Hu, then follow me. Our place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. We should all join together in the arena of life. Shrech.